As has already been mentioned, the thankfulness that we feel to be able to come together this morning. We're certainly blessed with many of our regular membership who've experienced a little improvement in their health and are able to be back with us. Also, those we should remember also those that continue to be on our sick list. And we're also appreciative of our visitors that have come our way this day. How blessed an opportunity it is to come together and offer worship to the great God who loves us, created us, and gave us the things about us that we enjoy so wonderfully each day. As one reads through the scriptures and in, comes to the point of considering various passages and texts, it seems very easy to appreciate the influence that each individual has upon those that are around him. None of us live, if you will, to ourselves. No person, if you will, is commanded by God to be a hermit, if you will, and never interact with others. It is the case that though we do not approve of all that takes place in the world around us, perhaps even those very near and dear to us, it nonetheless is the case that we today will consider the influence that we can exert upon others and the influence that they may well exert upon us. As you can see in the title of the lesson, I've chosen it to be this, like father, like son. Though it's true that many of the passages that we will consider will directly refer to the influence within a family, that is, that which the parents may exert upon their children, may we also note that the conclusions to be drawn from it are certainly powerful in a broader respect than that. For each of us may well influence those about us, though they may not be our daughter or our son. Nonetheless, they watch, they observe. They're aware of where our heart really is, and today may we study with intensity and also with a great desire to incorporate into our life the greatness of exerting a positive influence upon others. With that said as a brief introduction, might we at least begin by considering the following. I thought that we would generally consider a movement from bad to good. That is to say, let's begin by noting some of the bad influences that the scriptures present to us in which a given father or parents actually had upon their children as well as, as upon others too. It is no overstatement to state that one of the greatest influences in a child's life period is that of his or her parents. For day by day as they observe and watch, it is easy to see where the actual heart of the parent is. Do they practice what they preach? Do they say one thing but live in a different way? Do they in fact state by way of exact and express declaration one thing? All the while it's easy to see that they actually live in a way different than what they say. It's interesting to note that any child, and yet any of us, has relatively little respect on the whole for those who choose to behave in that way. We demand that all, and that includes parents, practice what they preach. With those kind of things stated, may we return to 1 Kings 15 and look at one example that we see in the Old Testament along this very line. The first three verses of 1 Kings 15 read as follows. Now in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Maacah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he reigned, in, and he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. 
When the Old Testament history unfolds before us, we are blessed so often with these characters that rose high above their peers in terms of their respect for God. In a world that was so often overcome with evil, there stood Noah as a prime example of those dedicated to the cause of goodness and holiness. In the days of Abraham, though the world so often presented things that were opposed to that, like in the city of Sodom, there stood Abraham. Again, so often a noble servant to the God of heaven. Well, that type of circumstance also appears later in the Old Testament. David was that individual chosen to be the second king of Israel. And even though he had a heart after God himself, First Samuel 13 informs us, we nonetheless learn so easily that he had a son named Solomon. And after Solomon completed his reign, troublesome times came to Israel. Remember that the kingdom split into two parts, partly because of the foolishness of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. That brings us, in fact, to the very name that I've already read from verse 1, as well as the notes I've listed for your consideration. Rehoboam was the first of the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was the son of Solomon. He was therefore the grandson of David. He ought to have had a tremendous opportunity to exert godliness and righteous influence upon others. And yet, he made such foolish decisions. Decisions that were unwise and in fact aided in the splitting of the kingdom. Might we notice a bit about Rehoboam's son? Was his son more like his father or was his son more like David? Again, verse number 3. Speaking about this son whose name was Abijam. The text says he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, like father, like son. Rehoboam had, though a wonderful opportunity to exert positive influence, he chose to act in ways that were not wise and in ways that were not directed toward God. And yet it says Abijam walked in the sins of his father. Fathers, may I encourage you as I encourage myself. Those little eyes are looking up at us. They easily watch the things that we do, the things that we say, the places that we go, the manner in which we interact with others. They're watching. And it's far more likely that they will behave like we do than that they will behave the way we tell them. We may say one thing, but again, if we act differently ourselves they are far more likely to follow what we have done than what we have said. It seems as though in the life here of Rehoboam and Abijam, we notice that not much good is said about Abijam. He walked in all the sins of his father. Those encouragements that Rehoboam had exerted for evil in the empire, his son followed exactly the same way. Don't you know that perhaps in time, if he had any element of goodness within him, Rehoboam regretted the manner in which Abijam came to reign, and he regretted the influence he had exerted? I wonder if David had been alive then, what would David have thought? After all, a man again after God's own heart. I list that as an example to help us see that there is one other text that weighs in so heavily upon this same example. It's found in 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14. As you read that text, notice what it informs us about Rehoboam. 2 Chronicles 12, verse 14. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. 
Now I think we can easily see not only why there was such error in the life of Rehoboam, but also in the life of Abijam. He prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Where was Rehoboam's interest? Where was his intent? What is it that he sought so powerfully in his life? It wasn't the things of God. And thus, is it any surprising fact that his son Abijam acted like he did? Even though it's true that it's not a universal rule, nonetheless, generally, it's true that those parents who rear their children in godless ways will have children that behave that way. Here we notice that Rehoboam didn't set a good example. Rehoboam didn't prepare his heart to seek God, and yet his son also did not seek the Lord. That's but one example that helps us see that bad influences can easily be transferred and can influence so powerfully our children, others that we come in contact with. There's another example, though, that is just as powerful also in the Old Testament, and it's the one that Greg read before our hearing just a few minutes ago. In Second Chronicles chapter 22, we now have come several kings later in the line of the Old Testament kingship, but as you noticed in the first three verses of that chapter, we have mention made about a king whose name was Ahaziah. Ahaziah had a very negative influence from both his parents and his grandparents. Consider the following things with me. Again, in the line of the kingship, we're all very familiar with two characters whose names were Ahab and Jezebel. Though you and I may know, generally speaking, not so much about the details of all the lives of the kings of the Old Testament, the very mention of Jezebel brings to our mind wickedness. A person intent to oppose God, a person who not only had no interest in the things of godliness, but actively sought to influence others in ways that were godless. Notice that in the very line of this woman, we remember her husband Ahab tended to be weak, and he too often did things that were displeasing to God. But to, that, to those two were born, was born a child. That child's name, as we read here in Second Chronicles 22, verses 1 to 4, was none other than Jehoram. Now Jehoram also became king, but he is not spoken of very highly. But notice that Jehoram, as we consider his wife, was none other than Athaliah probably the second most wicked woman in all the Old Testament. Second only to this one who is Jezebel. Looking at the way that unfolds, what do we have? Ahaziah had wicked parents and wicked grandparents. It's fair to say that, again, it would not be shocking if the influence of his life led him also to walk in these difficult ways. Again, I'd ask you to read verse 3 with me of Second Chronicles 22. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Who then did Ahaziah pay attention to, and what was the course of the activity of his life? Was it not in the very counsel of negativeness, ungodliness, that his mother had encouraged upon him? Notice verse 4, Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Parents, let us all listen so carefully as the days of our lives so rapidly pass us by and those days turn into weeks which so rapidly become months and so swiftly become years. Those little ones will quickly pass from the 
character of being in our house. They'll establish houses of their own. They'll find a mate. They'll bear children. The influence that you and I have upon them while they're young, while they are so influenceable by us, can be so powerful. Not just for one generation, but for many. Notice here we looked at three generations. The wickedness seemed to pass from one right to the next, even though we might know the greatness of that example. Might we use it in ways that are good for us, not for bad. I've listed that example to help remind us that even grandparents, we too should remember that those little eyes are watching us and that those who are our nieces and nephews, life is filled with influences. May you and I strive to be powerful, good ones, not indifferent ones, certainly not negative ones. And included in that good is, of course, for God. That they might see a person interested in the teachings of the Bible as truth, interested in following those absolutely and completely day by day, interested to know that that which we say is powerfully positive for what God defends it to be and never corrupt or negative. It's fair to say that this idea of example so far has been negative in every respect. Are there examples in the Bible that encourage us to think positively? As I mentioned earlier, we'll use good, the good side of examples as for those of the rest of our lesson today. I thought it'd be wise to help each of us warn ourselves with the negative ones first, but then to lift our spirits as we think about how good our example can be and maybe what eternal benefit that might bring to our children and even others. What about some good examples? I'm sure in your mind you've already raced to a couple of these. Perhaps the ordering in which we present them may be a bit different than you would have expected. But let's first think about Abraham, found in the very opening book in all of God's Bible. In Genesis 18, we have already mentioned him briefly and have studied him often in our Sunday morning Bible study class. But with regard to Abraham, there is one specific verse to which I would turn your attention. It's found in Genesis chapter 18. In the very instance in which Sodom is about to be destroyed, God enters into conversation with him, and the reasoning that God selects and makes mention of is this. Verse number 19 of that chapter. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Have you noted the verb that God used? I know him. God, as he makes reference to the events shortly to happen at Sodom, says, I know that Abraham will not only command his children but his household after him in the ways involving me, and they shall pursue the ways of judgment and justice. What a prolific statement about this man, this father, the head of this household. May each of us ask the same of ourselves. What kind of influence do you and I set in our households those examples that our children are following and seeing. Is it such that they look upon us and can God rest assured that we will command our households after him? God was certain that Abraham would. And that certainty is such a powerful example, not only for the patriarchal era, but the Mosaic one even today too. Fathers, we have that responsibility. As the head of the household, given in Ephesians chapter 5, we are to set forth that example 
to all of those who are in our household. Examples for godliness, for goodness, for leadership, for that positive example that shall redound into their eternal glory and will benefit as they come to know the Lord and follow Him. And might I suggest that we each will shall be held accountable at judgment for the way we've done that. There shall come a time that when we give an account on that great reckoning day, a part of it for us who are fathers will be the example we set and the leadership that we extended in the family. May we, like Abraham, lead positively, correctly, and godly. That example in his life leads us to maybe ask, what then befell his children? What was Isaac like? Did he turn out to be a young youth who was interested in doing the things of God? Or did he rebel against not only his father but God as well and come to have little if any respect for the things of holiness? Though that discussion is a bit ahead of our Sunday morning class, we shall find that Isaac was a powerful example and God spoke to him the same way he did to his father relaying to him the commandment concerning faithfulness and the blessing that would come not only to him, but to his seed. In that case, like father, like son was a good thing, wasn't it? In those previous cases, it would have been better if Abijam had not been like his father. It would have been better in that second example if, in fact, Ahaziah had not been like his father, but so often like father, like son. Thankfully, they all, that in a good way happened in Abraham's case. Might we look at yet another found in the New Testament this time. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read about the following instance. The one involving Timothy. How often have we pondered the nature of Timothy, thought about the life that he lived, thought about the upbringing that he had, there actually are two passages that we should consider. I'd invite your attention to verse 5 of 2 Timothy 1. As Paul began that letter, the second one that he wrote to this young son in the faith of his, isn't it interesting what he chooses to say? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. At the very outset, we are reminded... There was an unfeigned faith first in Lois, then in Eunice, then in Timothy. Who were these ladies? Lois was his grandmother, Eunice his mother. First, Paul paid a great compliment, did he not, to that family structure, that unit in that they were interested in the things of God. And not only were they interested, that issue passed from one generation to the next, didn't it? We notice that Eunice also, by the very description of Paul, possessed an unfeigned faith. And what's more, the third generation did as well, namely Timothy. So much so that we might well recall an interesting scene in Timothy's life. Let us revisit the first missionary journey as recorded in Acts, the 13th chapter. On that occasion, that church in Antioch sent forth Paul and Barnabas, laid their hands upon them, set them aside for the work to which the Spirit had called them, and as they proceeded on that journey, they first passed through the island and then back to the mainland, but they came to the cities of Derby and Lystra. While there, they come in contact with a family, a young man whose name was Timothy. 
we are not told much more about Timothy then. However, two years later, when the second missionary journey came forth and in Acts 16, Paul visits that same area again and this time, this time Timothy is called a disciple. He's called a follower. He was one of notable respect amongst those who were interested in things of God. And what's more, at that point, Timothy came to be a companion on the second journey, willing to leave home and family because the calling within him helped him understand he had a talent to be utilized for the precious saving of souls and the spreading of the gospel. You see, that wasn't accidental that that second missionary journey's events happened. Timothy had an upbringing, an interest in the Word of God, a tutelage by his parents in which he came to realize the greatness to be seen in it. May we notice that it was not the father who was the primary influencing factor for Timothy. It was his mother and his grandmother. In fact, isn't it interesting that the only reference we have to Timothy's father is that he himself was a Greek. Isn't that amazing? His mother's influence led him nonetheless to understand his devotion and that there is a higher calling to the God of heaven. And Timothy apparently was so diligent in his pursuit. Notice two chapters later something else about Timothy's upbringing. In chapter 3 verse 15, Paul was again able to say, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From a child, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. We each understand it is not customary for a young child to pick up that Bible and diligently come to master it without the insistence and the influence of the parent. It would certainly appear that his parents, especially again his mother, was interested in him learning that Bible. Those scriptures that he had in possession at that time. Now those scriptures we understand to be the Old Testament ones. For those were primarily what of course were able to be easily passed around and known at that time. It would seem that Timothy from an early age came to know them. As parents how blessed it is when we even, when those children are in the crib, read the Bible to them. So that as they grow, they will come to know it more than they will, secular literature, the various other magazines that we might read. Let us encourage them to come to know that. There was a day and a time in our land when the Bible was often used as a textbook in classrooms. I can well remember my grandparents telling about the time in school the Bible basically served as the English text. You learned English by studying the Bible. We each know that those days have long passed. We're not allowed, basically, to teach Bible in our public schools anymore. If they're going to be taught in Bible, certainly we can appreciate Sunday school and how important that is. But what about the other six days of the week? You see, one day out of seven is not enough. We need to help them see each day an importance of making time to learn the Word of God, to find it important, to dwell for at least a few moments upon it so that they can become stronger and they will know above all things the truth of God's Word, like Father, like Son. Thus do our children see us do that. Do they get to see us open the pages of God's Word and ponder it to dwell upon it 
to allow it to rest upon our mind and to inquisitively use it day by day to guide our thinking, our language, and our actions. If they see that in our life, they're more apt to do the same, like father, like son. Whereas the negative influences of those we saw early in the lesson, and now the two that we have seen more positive in character, maybe there would be another that we could consider as well. This one, as you notice, is at the very bottom of that screen. As we turn back to the book of Luke, in the opening chapter of that third of the gospel letters, notice the individual with whom we come in contact is John the Baptist, but at least at this early time, something is said about his parents. Who were they? Their names, of course, were Zacharias and Elizabeth. But there's one particular passage to which I would turn your attention. Verse number 6 says, speaking of John's parents, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. None of us need reminding what a great character John the Baptist came to be. He was the forerunner of the Messiah, Isaiah 40, verses 1 and following, Malachi 3, verses 1 and 2. He was that one, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. But why was John so great? Why was it Jesus could refer to him in John 5.35 as a burning and shining light? Well, one of the reasons certainly is this. Think about his parents. Is it not often stated that the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree? John's parents walked in all the ordinances of the Lord blameless. Perhaps it isn't too shocking then that they had a son, John, who was just as interested and just as intent upon doing the will of God. These various issues help us see today that our influence can be great. For how many individuals did John preach to and turn to the Savior? How many individuals did he had lives whom he touched? Did he not preach, he must increase but I must decrease? And in Matthew 3, verses 6 and following, the whole region turned out to listen to him preach. Oh, it must be a joyful thing when parents see in their children a person who grows to become so devoted and diligent in the cause of God, perhaps becoming a gospel preacher, or the wife of a preacher, or perhaps an elder or deacon, or the wife of one, to know that they can influence so many souls for an eternity that they will choose the pathways that are right and that they will influence so many to turn to God. You see, we have high hopes for our children, don't we? And I know that I'm not speaking at all out of turn. We want them to have a happy life, to have a job and a career that can support themselves and their families. But let us not forget that what's even more important than that is their spiritual well-being. Are they going to grow up to know the Lord? and ultimately can pass from this life ready to meet their maker at judgment. For isn't it true that if they've missed that, they've missed everything, and we perhaps have been a part of that missing. For if we haven't influenced them correctly, if we have not done all within our power to urge them in the ways of godliness, these thoughts today have challenged each of us, I'm certain, to think about the influence that we have, whether for good or for evil. As we come near to the point of concluding the lesson today, it would be fair to at least summarize two of the points this way. 
Namely, very frequently, the ways of parents become the ways of the children. That's true whether it be those ways that are noble and good, or whether it be those ways that are more on the godless side, or at least indifferent or apathetic to the things of heaven. That's a sadness when one thinks of it in the bad way. It's certainly one of the greatest of blessings in, in the way that's good. Not only that, think about some of the other statements that we have learned along the way today. How about you and your family? Are you more like Ahaziah's parents and family? Or are you more like John the Baptist's parents and family? We each can decide for ourselves with truthfulness which one we're more like. Let us never forget, though, that the choices that we make day by day will determine those answers. And even today, if we find that our influence is not the way that we would like it to be, it may be even yet there's opportunity to make changes, opportunities to invigorate our spiritual life in ways that will help our children see more clearly the pathways that are correct. One of the things that we've learned today also is about that unfeigned faith that Timothy and his parents had. Is your faith unfeigned? Again, that word just means genuine. And believe me, your children know if it is or if it isn't. If you're only a play actor in terms of religion, your children will know that. But if you're dedicated and zealous and if you're diligent in that, they'll know that too. Children are hard to fool. Children can easily see right through a facade, a hypocritical kind of lifestyle. And so which is it for you and me today? Do, are they seeing the real article on Sunday? Or is the real article more likely to be seen on Monday or Tuesday or Saturday? They know. God knows too. Which is it for your family and mine today? More like Ahaziah? More like the families we'd seen in terms of Abijam? Or more like John the Baptist? More like Timothy? More like Abraham? The choice is mine and yours today. The gospel call of invitation is extended to each and every one of us. God desires us to be a tremendous and powerful influence for good for Him. And when we do that, we will naturally influence others in ways that are positive. They can't help but see the light that shines forth from our life. For wasn't it true that Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5 or 16. Others will see that in our life. We, very much like a city on a hill, very much like a candle which has its cover taken off, present a glowing influence for good to those about us if we are dedicated to the cause of Christianity. Jesus, you see, died for you and me. Have you and I given all to him? Have we turned over the selfish aspects of our life to Him and ask Him, Lord, you take it and lead me? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, verse 18. Do you and I set before our children the glorious hope of heaven? Or are we a hindrance to them in that way? Today, if you've never become a Christian, may I submit today's the day, now is the time. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, we read, Today is the day of salvation. It's today, my friend. We aren't promised tomorrow. Tomorrow events could happen in such a way that no longer would obedience be even possible. If you need to respond today to the call of the invitation of heaven, believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Believe that with all your heart. Repent of those sins that nailed your Savior to a cross. And what's more, confess His glorious name as the only Son of God. 
and then be baptized merely means to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. That we can do so quickly. And what rejoicing it shall bring. If you've done that but have not lived faithfully as much as you could to the calling of heaven, it is a high calling of that fact. There is no doubt, Ephesians 4.1. But if we could help you rededicate that life, we'd be happy to do it. We'd be honored to be a part of rededicating your life to the cause of, of God. If either of those things is the need of your life today, will you not let that be known? Even now, while together we stand and while we sing.